If the world exists in a perpetual state of uncertainty, if things are half-assed and watered down, and most things fall into a gray area, when you respond to a call like that, you are bathed for a few minutes in superhuman certainty. You put away whatever squabbles you and your partners have had, ready to wade into the fray, to sacrifice yourself for any one of them. You hit the lights and siren and drive better than you normally do, think sharper than you normally do. The people in other cars look at you as you pass them on a mountain road, and at intersections the cars part for you like the Red Sea for Moses. It is an acceptable substitute for reality. It's fleeting, but it keeps you believing in what you do. One after another, three other four-wheel drive patrol trucks converged on the road and roared down it, arriving at the bottom with the brakes stinking and spongy under the pedal. I was a couple of minutes ahead of the others. I jerked my baton from where I kept it jammed between the seat back and the cushion and rolled out of the car, sliding the club into the ring on my gun belt as I strode through the crowd now milling around Finch, Fifty, perhaps seventy-five people. Finch, poker-faced and sturdy in his green jeans, khaki shirt, gun belt, and green baseball cap with a badge insignia above the bill, stood by the open door of his car with the woman. Her car was still parked where she had stopped it, the driver's door still open. Finch was asking her questions and taking notes on a clipboard. As I walked up to them, he glanced at me and, without acknowledgement or greeting, began to speak with no trace of excitement other than the elevated volume of his voice and the pace of his delivery. This was a male-female fight. The guy, he's gone, ran downstream. They were arguing. She says when they decided to separate, one was going to leave with the car and one would stay. Then there was more arguing about who got to take the car and who had to stay with the baby. She jumps in the car and tries to leave, and he runs after her. That's when I saw him throw the baby at her in the car. I thought it was a beach ball. Then I thought, shit, it's a baby. Luckily, it passed right in through the window. Where's the baby now? I asked him. He pointed to the shade of the willow trees next to us. Those two women in the crowd offered to hold it. I looked over at the trees. The baby was naked, but for a paper diaper, face flushed, in the arms of a woman fifty feet from where we were standing. She and another woman were making worried-looking ministrations over it. Is it okay? You want to call an ambulance? I asked. Seems okay. I've called Child Protective Services to pick the little guy up and have him checked at the hospital. Anyway, then the crowd turned on the man and I thought they were going to kill him. The guy saw what was about to happen to him and ran into the brush down there. Finch gestured toward the thickets by the beach. That was a good twenty minutes ago and I have no idea where he is by now. As Finch finished his account, the other rangers arrived, rumbling along the road in clouds of dust. Finch went back to questioning the woman. I walked over to where the others were getting out of their rigs. They were surrounded by bystanders who wanted to tell them what had happened and demand that something be done about it. When I told them what Finch had told me, the rangers were only too happy to leave their petitioners and search for the missing man in the brush down the beach. 
The way it worked with us, as soon as the adrenal part was over, someone would have to pay for all the fun. You paid by having to write the whole thing up, a process that could take an hour of note-taking in the field and several hours to a couple of days back at the ranger station. As a rule, the first ranger on the scene was the one who paid. You labored over your account of the incident, all the while knowing that the D.A. would flush most of the nefarious acts you described down the drain and deal the guy out on a felony specified as a misdemeanor. At sentencing, the judge would impose a suspended sentence because the jail was full, or maybe once he was out on bail, the guy wouldn't bother to show up for his arraignment.